This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri, Anthony Kleinwachter. We are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk ice fishing podcast and uh, uh here we are mid-season anthony and we're uh we're finally getting and i would call it kind of mid-season as a traditional year might play out but here we are just getting some good what i'd call good consistent fishable ice at least here in the in the upper midwest and i'm really excited for that anthony i know you were out on the ice here as of late what uh, what did you find yeah, it was uh, actually pretty good ice. I think we lucked out with the rain that we got um, versus snow. I think if we would have gotten snow, it would have been really tough conditions. But uh, the rain came, kind of settled into the lakes, and I'm sure, you know, made some pockets where it was a little bit uh, less consistent. But everything's starting to get cold now. Things are firming up. Um, when I was out, I had six to eight inches of ice, and it was the good, hard black ice that you're looking for. And so I'm really excited. We have some really cold temps uh, in the forecast. They're talking, you know, single digits, sub-zero next week. And so I think with the lack of snow cover, if we can miss some more snow, we're going to make some good ice here in the next week or two, and then things should be maybe a little bit closer to on track of what would be normal. But, yeah, it's definitely been an extended early ice season this year. Yeah, that is a good way to look at it. Extended early ice. And, you know, honestly, I know in, in our part of the world, I think we kind of dodged a bullet here over the holidays. We had, we had uh, uh, at least in, in Fargo, where both Anthony and I live, we had about two and a half inches of rain, which is never good on top of ice. But as I kind of try and look for the silver lining, I think the zero to five inches of ice that we had, if that rain would have come as snow, we're talking over 20 inches of snow. And I think we'd have been done for the year. We'd have been in a really bad place. So call it the lesser of two evils, if you will, or, or whatever you want. But I think, I think it gave us an opportunity now to kind of get a fresh start and, and really grow some good ice. Yeah, absolutely. It should be. I think we, we have a really good outlook moving forward. If, like I said, if we can miss, looks like they're pushing the snow further south of us. And so we should miss some of that. And then those sub-zero temps are going to make ice fast. Well, when you make ice, then it's time to get out on the ice. And uh, I am very excited to hear and, and get to visit with our guest for this episode of Shack Talk. A lot of the folks that listen to Shack Talk and our YouTube followers, you're going to know this guy. He is uh, He's out there doing it, and he's making it fun and informative. Uh, we're really excited to welcome Joe Holland of Joe Holland Fishing to the podcast. Joe, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here, guys. Well, it is so fun to, to be able to, to have you here, and, and I'm excited to jump in because I both Anthony and I have said we've got a million questions, but... First off, for our listeners, a lot of them follow you on YouTube. A lot of them have watched your videos. But just to get everybody up to speed, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you? How did you get into this uh, this world of ice fishing and uh, and doing what you're doing today? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So I'm here in Maine, uh, total as far northeast as you can pretty much get. And I used to be a professional bass fisherman on the FLW tour. I didn't get a chance to ice fish for many, many years. You know, when I was a kid, 
and still like in grade school and high school and in college, I ice fished as much as I possibly could. But after college, I spent quite a few winters down in the southern states and and chasing that dream of of uh, catching big bass on the FLW tour. So I I kind of missed out on just about all the ice fishing unless we had like early early ice. I'm talking like late November, early December, which you know we did have a little bit when I was growing up. And I so I did the tour, and then. I think I did that maybe like five years or so and had a lot of fun, met a lot of great people. And then an opportunity came up for me up here in Maine where my family, we had started an ice cream uh, business, like an ice cream shop retail many years ago, 24 years ago now. And my parents, they started it as a hobby and it kind of just grew into something bigger and they wanted to get out of it. And the opportunity came up for me and, and I, so I left the tour to take up that opportunity, and, and it keeps me busy all spring and summer and a little bit into the fall, but it affords me the winters off. So as soon as I, I took over the ice cream shop, it gave my winters off, and it was just straight ahead of ice fishing. I mean, there's nothing better for me in the world than to go to finish, you know, do my hunting season in the fall and then then transition right into ice fishing, and, and uh, that's one that's pretty much when I got the YouTube started up again was when I was ice fishing. I said, well, let me just see if I can do this and if I can make it successful enough just to pay for the winter. So the winter doesn't cost me any money and I'm not going backwards in the bank account. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it, it kind of grew from there. I, I got fortunate with a couple videos that, that, uh, that really got out there and, and a lot of it had to do with ice camping and, and, um, yeah, doing some, some new things on the ice, doing, doing some things that a lot of people I think are interested in. And since then it's just grown and grown. And, and, you know, I look forward to ice fishing season all year long. That is super cool. And Anthony, I don't mean to jump in front of you, but I have a question that I just have to ask right away of Joe. Two questions, actually. Number one, that had been a really tough decision to leave the tour fishing on the tour. And then number two, this is this an ice cream shop that, we actually have to go to to get the ice cream or can we mail order it and have it delivered to our home? <laughs> well, well next year, maybe I'll see if I can bring a bucket out to the St. Paul show, but, but yeah, it, it was a really tough decision because, because fishing the tour was a dream come true. I was having, you know, some success, you know, I was cashing checks. I had, I had some really good chances at winning some of the big tournaments and just, it, you know, you get a breakdown on one of the days or, or you break off that fish or something. So I, I knew I belonged you know, and I, I, I fulfilled the dream and knew that I at least belonged there. And then when the opportunity came up with the ice cream shop, it was, it was easier than it sounds, you know, and even talking about it now, it does sound like a little bit of a tough decision, but it, it gave me the opportunity to come back home, small town. I, the town's got about 2000 people is all there is in my town. It's, it's rural. And, uh, it gave me a chance to make a difference in my community as as a business owner and a business leader and really kind of develop the business model a little bit further than my parents took it as a hobby business into like a community-based business and and it takes care of my family and um and the community too so so as far as the decision you know it it, it just it was it does sound hard but if you if if I was able to separate put my ego aside it actually became even more of a dream come true. And then of course to have like winters off 
you know, and I'm too busy in the summer to, to spend any money. So I, I get to save my money all, all year, you know, until ice fishing happens. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound too horrible. I could probably go with having the winters off. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And the, and the thing is, like, honestly, the way I attack my winters with the YouTube channel and with the all the trips I take and, and all the people I like to fish with, um, when I go back to work in the spring, it's almost like I'm, I'm on vacation then because I, I just it's just so much hard work, you know, doing your own editing and, and doing all your own videography and then, you know, the travel and everything else. I'm not complaining. I absolutely love it, and I'd do it for 12 months if we had 12 months ice, if, if I could afford it. <laughs> yeah, and I know we have a lot of uh, great conversation lined up to talk about ice camping, and I know that's going to be the focus of the, the podcast here, but before we jump into that, um, if anybody hasn't, where can they find your videos? Because I know recently I've been kind of catching up on what you've been up to. I've been watching your cabin building and even going back to some of the ice videos from last year. Where can they find your videos? Sure. It's, uh, the best place would be YouTube. It's uh, it's under Joe Holland Fishing. Uh, I started that channel. I, I didn't have a, a cell phone until I think this year. Um, this is like 12 months with, with a cell phone. First time in my life. And I wasn't on social media until I was started fishing the tour. And then a lot of the sponsors I was talking with or some of the sponsors that I'd gotten said, hey, you really got to get into the social media game. You know, that's where all the marketing is. We need hits. We need we need stuff on social media. So I that's when I got like my first Facebook and, and uh, all my social media. And I started the YouTube channel then. And the easiest way for people to find me and for sponsors and, and fans to find me was through that through that name I thought so that's that's the, the best place for people to find me now and then when I started that channel originally is when I was uh, starting fishing pro I I developed a series just called average Joe fishing where it gave people an inside look into the FLW tour into professional fishing which was like still a mystery and still a secret and still had this huge you know like a uh, big cloud around it where where guys at home aspiring to be pros had no idea what it was like you know so like the first year or two where i'm sleeping in my truck you know driving 18 hours and working working a day job 40 hours a week and then jumping in the truck and and uh, driving for 18 to 20 straight hours to another state and sleeping in the truck you know during the tournament and stuff like that and then like you know, like where every single fish matters and, and every single paycheck matters on the road, you know, as a rookie starting out and uh, just, just trying to put enough gas in the, in the boat to, to pre-fish and see half the lake and just see these giant lakes on tour. So, so that was like the start of the channel. And then when I took over the ice cream shop, I'd shut it down for like a year or so. And then, then that's when I started. Um, I, I said, you know what, people might enjoy this ice fishing thing this ice camping thing and and like I, I ended up spending like i went ice camping for like a three day three or four day up in the wilderness and i did the best i possibly could and i caught fish and the content was awesome and i had some drama happen where i got like buried in the slush and and slushed out and then like i worked as hard as i could with all the uh, video editing stuff and i put it out there and, it, and I was like, well, that's all I got. You know, that's the best I got for content. That's the best I got for editing. That's the best I got for everything as far as ice fishing goes. Let's see where it goes. Because the ice fishing channels were not as big as they are now. You know, like Uncut and Jay Siemens and Clayton and those guys weren't 
they they weren't as big a deal as they are now of course so i put it out there and it did like nothing <laughs> it got like a thousand views and the people who watched it loved it but it just never got the algorithm and then it kind of sat there for like i want to say like eight months or so i put it out like late in the season because that's when i shot it i shot it like in march maybe finished editing in april and i didn't know any better but so i put it up in april and then next hunting season like i was i remember i was up north with my buddy who was really into the ice fishing channel too and it was like october and november and he's like he says you know hey you're you're your videos are at like um, those two ice videos you put up on the ice camp and are at like 80,000 views each now. And I couldn't believe it, but it just caught like in Canada and Wisconsin and Minnesota and North Dakota, like drew that really good ice fishing belt and, and guys liked it. So I said, well, I'll keep the channel going. Otherwise that was going to be the end of my ice fishing channel. <laughs> Timing is everything, isn't it? Timing <laughs> is everything. And amazing. Is, yeah. Just the collective mindset of, of social media in our digital world. And, and uh, yeah, April, yeah, people are on to other things. And, and then come around to fall, it's like yeah, everybody's just diving in for content. Yeah, you can't get enough of it going into the season. And, and I didn't realize that at the time. And I'm the same way. Like before hunting season, I'm watching hunting videos. During hunting season, I'm not watching them or after I'm not. And the same goes for ice fishing season. Like the ice fishing stuff, I do soak up and like year round. But I definitely watch a lot more of it going into ice fishing season than I do at the end or during ice fishing season. So for those of, of our listeners who may not have really done a lot of deep diving into your videos in your, in your YouTube channel, they might be new to it. Give what's, what's the, uh, what's the overlying theme, Joe, of what you do. You do a lot with ice camping, but you do species specific or you kind of do everything. Well, we we're lucky in Maine here. Like we don't like our, we have a lot of different species. So I like to target a bunch of different species and I, it kind of helps me be, more well-rounded as an angler and and um and i i really enjoy trying to catch different species so in maine like i'll target anywhere from like 15 to 20 different species over the course of the winter yep anywhere from 180 foot deep to four inches deep um so it's it's very very diverse and we're not really well known for having any major fisheries in maine except for our new and growing panfish that in my opinion are world class like our crappie and, and perch fishing is world class and it's just they're not protected at all by our state they're actually not even wanted by our state department it's it's a fairly new fish to maine i think the first crappie to to ever show up in maine was in in, two, in the year 2000 when i was graduating college yeah now we're growing them like like um i'm catching them on the regular well over 15 inches like if we're if i want eaters i'm targeting like 12 to 15s and we're moving if we're not on like 15 <laughs> you know and like wow. anything under yeah we don't even consider like anything under 12 we don't really count them <laughs> sounds like a horrible yeah. problem to have dude i know i didn't realize this till i came out to minnesota and talked with a bunch of the fishermen and started like comparing notes and they were like you're lying and then I, I started showing them the videos and, and showing them uh, the YouTube videos and like uh, and other stuff I had. And I'm like, yeah, we really were, we're crazy fortunate. And like, it's an unknown thing. It's an untapped resource. And there are fish that have never been caught in the state of Maine that, that 
have never even seen a lure. There are crappie that are 16 to 19 and a half inches is the biggest one I've seen. Um, yeah, that I've never even seen a lure. <laughs> I was laughing. I was, I had one of your videos up on the, the big screen over the holidays and you're out perch fishing and you're, you're talking about, Hey, we're not in devil's Lake. We're not out in the Minnesota <laughs> lakes. We're here in Maine. And you were pulling up some nice looking fish. Yeah. Like our yellow perch are considered, and I hate to even use this word, but they're considered a trash fish here because our white perch are just such good eating. And the yellow perch are tremendous eating. It's just this weird thing in like in the state of Maine where it's always been like, ah, we don't eat the yellow perch or they're wormy that people say or something like that. It's crazy. I know it's like it's like I'm speaking a foreign language to you guys, but our yellow perch are so untapped and unrecognized and and it's just amazing. Like I could go out and catch I could catch five hundred in a day, yellow perch over 12 inches. And that's not like, I'm being humble. I'm not bragging. You know, like if, if I say I could do that, then you guys who, you know, come from a place where there's a lot more pressure could probably catch 800 in, in one day. It, it's just as quick as you can drop them down and take them off the hook. And, and, you know, we're like our average yellow perch through the ice is probably like 13 and a half, 14 inches for average. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to just kind of comprehend all this and I don't know what's more incredible to me, just the fact that you have the fishery there. That's, that's of that yeah. caliber or the fact that so many anglers don't recognize what an awesome thing that is to have the opportunity to catch fish like that. Oh yeah. There's, there's very, very few people. The only people who realize it are transplants from, from the Midwest or, or from other States. And then like anyone who's moved from, down south up to Maine and see like the crappie fish and you know where you can catch I mean you can catch 30 15 and 15 to 17 inches in a day on a jig rod in the winter you know if, especially with live scope uh, that's just for crappie and like for perch you could easily catch 100 over over 13 in the 14 inch range in a day um, yeah and like the worst part I mean I don't even know if I should tell you guys this because it'll make it'll make us look bad in Maine but like people will leave those on the ice, like thinking that they're junk fish and they just leave them on the ice. And I go behind people and pick them up, throw them in my sled and bring them home and fillet them and eat them. That's some good eating. No doubt about it. Wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. You know, and you hear so much in, in the world of ice fishing, you know, central centralized, I guess a lot of the, 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 the topic and the content, you know, around, around Canada, around the, the upper Midwest and, there's really something to be said for, for the opportunities you have in your part of the world. And, and, um, you know, obviously with your videos, you're shedding some more light on that. Have you gotten feedback from folks or people who've wanted to come out and, and fish in Maine and your part of the, the world? Yeah, I get a lot of feedback from people, you know, that are in that Midwest in, in Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, North Dakota region. A lot of those guys are really excited to come out and fish and, and just see what it's all about out here. Like, we're catching first-generation crappie that are, like, first-generation to a, a new body of water where, you know, the, the prey have not yet built up any defense systems against that specific fish. So these crappie are just growing huge. Like, your first-gen and second-gen ones get so big. So, like, now, like, it's more fun for me to go out there and find lakes and ponds that have first-gen crappie in it that no one's discovered yet probably a good thing that Maine's not in driving distance of the Midwest <laughs> or not easily driving distance. 
it's it's crazy like it's it'll baffle you guys and it's mind-blowing like like just the different way of thinking there is like like in maine we haven't yet as a group of fishermen gotten to the point where like we like where we understand how great our resource is and that's one of the things i'm trying to do like with my youtube channel you know the state i don't really i'm not on the same page as the state department like our state department only cares about uh, brook trout that's it because we're one of the last few states that can support a native brook trout fishery even though most of our brook trout are stocked we still do have some natives so they they completely overlook like the crappie and the perch fishing and and it used to be that way with bass like 20 years ago but now they're starting to recognize bass as as a fish that's very valuable resource wise and money and money wise to the state too so they're starting to protect bass Right now, there's no limit on perch or crappie, no size limits, no creel limits. Like, I've literally seen a guy fill up a large um, coat sled full of 15 to 18-inch crappie and take them all home. You know, it's it's crazy, crazy. It's crazy, yeah, to think about that. And, I mean, I, I know that's the evolution of fishing. And, I mean, we've seen it in Minnesota and the Dakotas, the, the change in perception on different species. I mean, you look at eopout and, and burbot, and, I mean, there used to be no limits, and now they're changing that due to the popularity. So hopefully, you know, you're, you're shining a light on a, a resource that will become, a, you know, much more managed and hopefully more utilized uh, resource by those that have the opportunity. So, yeah, looking forward to, to that. As we think about more of the ice camping aspect, and I know both Kyle and I really want to dive into this topic, and I think, you know, both – both of us have seen the the influx of people interested in ice camping over the last few years. I know the COVID pandemic really pushed people into the sport and you know gave them an opportunity to get out with hotels and lodges and certain things being shut down. But let's dive into that a little bit. I know you've got a really great video where you kind of went through all the, the do's and don'ts, and I know I watched it, and, you know, it's a little bit longer, but let's maybe take for our listeners and, and really just kind of do a quick breakdown of, you know, what's the – I know I think one of the takeaways I had from your video was kind of the cost versus the time. And then we can kind of get into the what you need, what kind of uh, suggestions you have for, you know, what people would need to get into ice camp. Yeah, sure. So so ice camping to me is just it's easier. Like I'm not going to like I'm it's not the lazy way to do it because it is it is hard work, but it's just so much easier for me than to go get reset up every day and you know, rent a hotel or an Airbnb or something like that. There's nothing like waking up in the morning where you're going to fish, unzipping that that zipper on my Eskimo and being on the ice and, like, already fishing, you know, like just pick up your drill and go. And there's to me, there's nothing quite like that. So as far as, like, cost goes, I think I did tackle that in that video, but in the long run, you're way better off ice camping, you know. Like, you got your initial – you have your initial setup fees, you know, whereas you're going to have to buy a good tent, like one of the quilted tents. I went with Eskimo right from day one because I love I, the, the thing that sold me on them first, not only like the quality and hearing of how other people had done, but was the door that opened, you know, like the full door. Cause I'm not shaped like a triangle and everything before was like a triangle door. So once they came out, with that, I had that 450i was my original one. So you're going to buy your tent. Um, I build my own floors for them at a pine boards. I'm lucky enough to have a mill here, but even if I think I did buy some boards one year, just rough cut boards. And that's like, that's the biggest 
thing for me. Like I, I probably wouldn't ice camp as much if I didn't do the floor thing. And I know a lot of guys like the foam. And I, I honestly, I have a box of the foam stuff that you put together. I've never used it just because the floor to me is just so much easier. And I've built uh, panels like for my 850, I have a six panel system. It's pine boards. They're an inch wide and then there's inch strakes underneath them. So I'm up off the ice or I'm up off the snow and then I'm literally walking around in my socks at, at night and my gear is drying and I'm walking in a stable and it's like dry and warm. So I build a floor. Um, you don't have to do that, but if you're going to stay for like multiple days or a week or 10 days, like I do, the floor is really, really nice to have. But other than that, like you're into it for a cot, which you could use all year, anytime, you know, and it's good forever. And I would highly recommend like a cot pad, you know, like a two to three inch foam pad to put under it for comfort. And then just a really nice sleeping bag. And then otherwise you got your pillow from home. Um, I bought like a $40 plastic table to set up like for my cooking stuff. And then if I want to do some writing or anything like that, or to hold lights on, and then you'll, you'll have some lights and stuff too, but you can keep it as basic as that, or even more basic than I do it. Or you can get more into it and bring like a generator out there and, and all the creature comfort to home. There's like, there's like 20 different ways you could heat that tent too. Like, I'm lucky enough where I really don't have to. I've just been playing around with different heaters over the last couple of years. Um, I'm kind of like a polar bear and I have like a really good old sleeping bag. That's like that I'll sweat in even at night. And I've camped as low as like negative 45, like the thermometer quits at 40 below zero Fahrenheit and, and been comfortable. Uh, no problem with it doing that too. So as far as like, cost goes oh my god it's so much cheaper than renting a house on the lake like the old days or like the new airbnbs or or hotels and then you don't have to worry about setting your gear up every day and like and uh and you know like losing something at the hotel or leaving something behind or getting something stolen at the hotel like even when i fished the tour i hated staying at hotels just because that's where like guys were getting robbed of, of their tackle and their gear and stuff because you're an easy target when you come off the water just completely smoked from fishing all day or ice fishing all day and and so tired where you fall asleep and you wake up next morning and you got a broken window or door lock busted or your trailer's been popped open so like for me like everything that i own or that I care about is on the ice right there with me, you know? So like, there's so many advantages to doing that Not, and let alone like the, the fishing advantages and then the time you save. And in Maine, like our winters, the roads are really bad. Like we're always facing like black ice or, or um, snowstorms or slush on the roads. And when I'm winter camping, it just completely takes that aspect out of it and, and, and removes like a huge safety thing for myself or my truck or, or any of my gear. Like, having to drive to a lake or, or drive back and forth and like, and, and whereas I want to fish multiple days on, on a body of water, you know, I hate, I hate driving home. Like I'm so tired. Like after I fishing all day, like there's, there's nothing better to me than just like taking my gear, working my gear at night, crawling into the tent and cooking up a nice meal and going to sleep on a cot, waking up and doing it all again the next day. Joe, you are doing an amazing job of selling this whole ice camping thing, honestly. And I had some questions written down, and I'm going to throw those in the garbage can right now because just listening to you talk about those things, 
now I've got other things going through my mind. The first of, of which is your floor, which yeah. I can see the advantage, number one, is that you're not having to contend with the water, the meltwater on the floor, right? I got to imagine that's huge. How is it? Is it all one piece or do you, do you have multiple pieces that fit together? Yeah. So there are multiple pieces. The first, um, the first one I built, the first time I ever went winter camping, I actually just threw a tarp down and I got flushed out. I woke up, it was a bad morning. I put my feet down into like four inches of frozen of slush. And it was like, whoa, I got to do something different here. So after that, like, my good friend's like, hey, we can just build a floor. And I was like, great idea. And it keeps the slosh down. It keeps the any meltdown. And so I, I built it. Like, I'll build it all, like, one piece. And then I'll draw and just cut it out into segments that, that fit perfectly into my tote sled behind my snowmobile. And it's, then, you know, they're not too heavy. They're probably – I've never weighed them. But I bet you they're all, uh, only like 40 pounds tops each, the six different segments. So I'm bringing like an extra 250 to 300 pounds. And I take a lot of flack like in comments like with YouTube. Everybody tells you a different way or a better way. And I've tried some other ways, and this is just the way I like. And it's so comfortable. I would honestly, like if I'm going to go for more than one night, there's, you're pretty much going to have a really hard time getting me out there without a wood floor or a hard floor underneath me. Yeah, no, just having seen your videos and listening to you talk about it, I can definitely see the advantage. I know I've used the the interlocking foam mats that a lot of people use, and and they work, but to your point, you're going to get some melt, you're going to get water, and if you're, you know, in an area where there might be some flooding or slush or anything like that, I can see where that wood floor would definitely be a huge advantage. Yeah, my buddies that use the, the foam that stayed like multiple days, they had a really hard time like chipping. They had to like chisel it off the ice because it kind of like froze in because we'll have some pretty drastic uh, temperature changes here in Maine where like it might warm up to like 35, 40 in the day and like melt a little bit. And that foam kind of melts and, and you got some water coming up. And then that night it could be 20 below zero. And then uh, even with the foam, they are going to stick sometimes, you know, they'll stick down. Whereas with the wood, I've never had it stick down to more than just tapping it and it just pops out. So that's, that's another reason why I went with like building my own floors for underneath. That is great advice. Makes makes a lot of sense. And, and I know even for myself using, you know, just like a propane heater that always seems to, if you got it close to the ice, it's going to melt. And I know you talked about using some different heat sources in your, in your tent and watching a few of your videos. I seen that pretty nice uh, wood stove you had rolling. Tell us a little bit about that. And have you experimented with other heat sources? I know, Diesel heaters are a new rage that are coming up now. Um, have any any experience with those? Yeah. So um, the first thing I used was the buddy heater, which it worked pretty well. I liked it. I would never like sleep with it on just because I was always afraid of the propane. And, um, and I really didn't need much for heat. And then I switched over to the wood stove. It was it's a Winterwell like Nomad Large. It's the perfect size for guys that are doing this. But for me. I don't love it. Like I, I actually just gave it away. There was a, there was some, I guess like a friend of mine had some, uh, some kids that were like down in their luck that were like sleeping in the woods in like a, like a mosquito tent or something. And he reached out to me and, and he's like, Hey, I know you do this. You know, they're, they're planning on spending like a winter in a tent and like what's a good tent to get them and i was like whoa i was like if they're gonna spend the winter um 
So I ended up just giving them my wood stove and the floor and my first 450 that I ever had, like the Eskimo, because that'll be perfect for two people and they could survive and make it through it. And I, and I wasn't in love with the, the wood stove because when I'd go to bed, it would be like 90 degrees in there. You know, you'd stoke that thing up and it's just a little stainless wood stove. And I'd be like laying on top of my bunk you know, on top of my, it's 20 below zero. I'm laying on top boxers. That's it. Just sweating. And then like eventually like crawl in and then just dead tired of the world. That first like two hours of sleep after ice fishing all day is so critical to just be asleep like, like a hibernating bear. And then all of a sudden it's like zero because or it's 20 below all of a sudden. Cause, uh, cause that stove went out you got to get up and stoke it. And I'm not a, like a get up and stoke it. Like once I get in that sleep bag and zip it up, and, like, I'll put a, a winter hat on, that's it. I don't like getting up again until it's, like, morning and time to time to get up and fish. So the the wood stove, to me, like, it's awesome for, like, drying stuff out. Like, if you've had a wet day or it's rained or slushed or whatever, it's awesome for, like, heating up. It's awesome for, like, thawing your gear and stuff. But as far as, like, the heat source at night, I was actually never cold when I didn't have any heat sources, but I got cold a few times running the wood stove because of the heat up, you know, take all your clothes off and then like get sweating and then like lose that heat. So this year I'm going to try. And the, the thing I didn't like about the buddy heater too, like I'll tell you the pros and cons to, to everything I've tried with the buddy heater. I was getting so much of that moisture inside. So on nights where I might've left it on all night or if I was trying to dry stuff out, you just get a ton of moisture in there just from the propane. And then I started having problem problems with it, like staying on and it just got frustrating. So I, that's why I wanted to get away from the body heater and a, a subscriber had sent me a diesel heater, which I haven't tried yet just because I didn't want to bring like another power source out, like bringing a battery. Cause I think it takes a battery like to run the fan and then you're bringing diesel, and then you're bringing that. And, like, guys are building these awesome boxes. It's one of the coolest things about ice fishermen is they just have this ingenuity and this ability to, like, build something better. And I just haven't got to that stage yet with the diesel heater. I know guys are doing really well with it. I didn't want to bring another battery, especially when I'm going, like, seven to ten days or two weeks on the ice like you're not gonna be able to keep that battery going unless you bring a generator you know and i'm not going to a house at night to charge something and most of the time i am in the wilderness so this year um i just ordered it i'm gonna try a vented propane like stove it looks like a mini wood stove and it's vented and it's propane so like it should defeat like all of those things like it's not gonna need a battery um, it's not going to go out in the middle of the night, like knowingly, unless there's a problem. And, um, and it's not going to leave a bunch of moisture, like inside the tent, like on me or on my, on my stuff. So I'm hoping that's going to be the answer. You guys will be the first to know. I'm going to give it a good, honest review. You know, I'm not with a company or anything like that. And, and I give, that's the, the cool thing about my channel is I'm always giving like honest reviews on like what works and what doesn't for me. That's the best thing, right? Just to get that firsthand experience and and be able yeah. to share it. A lot of people benefit from that. Hey, here's one of here's one of my other questions. So you mentioned a couple of times just your routine. You're out there camping. You get done fishing for the day. You like to come on in, cook a hot. So yeah. are you are you cooking the fish you catch during the day, or do you prep your meals ahead of time and and bring them out there and and kind of have a plan for what you're going to eat? 
I don't prep my stuff. Like a lot of guys do, and it's a great idea. I just don't. So like, like if I if I know I'm going to a place that has good pan fishing or decent trout fishing or even pike now, I just started eating pike last year. I'll uh, I'll plan like one of those days, I, and I don't really plan out how many days I'm going to go to a location either. It, it's kind of cool how fluid my winters are. So like I just know like I'll pack for like 20 days, and you know I'll go and as soon as I accomplish what I wanted to like on that fishery, catching those fish or shooting a video or or just having a great time, and then I find out like there might be weather coming, then I'll leave. So like as far as meals go, like I'll throw like 10 packs of deer uh, steak and burger and moose and moose in there. I'll throw like a couple like funky things for dinner in there, but most of the time it's going to be fish or wild game. And then my breakfasts are all like breakfast is a really big meal for me. Like, like I just love it. There's nothing better to me than like perking up a big pot of coffee, you know, throw two or three eggs in a pan, throw some potatoes in there and a piece of toast and maybe some bacon or sausage and, and like, there's no better way to start the day. So like breakfast, I do pack all that stuff ahead of time and try to keep my eggs from breaking or freezing. And, uh, and yeah, breakfast is, is like the one that I really plan out the rest of it. I usually just have like a big tote bag, that, like one of those freezer bags that doesn't freeze the stuff. And I throw like a bunch of packs of deer meat and, and uh, moose meat and some partridge if I was lucky enough to save some. And then all the lunches, and then, like, a few of the dinners are fish that I catch. You know, if I can catch cusk or what you guys might call a bourbon or a lingcod, if I can catch them, they're going in. That, that's a meal. Like, that's a meal. Like, I love eating cusk, what we call cusk, or you guys call bourbon. So, like, that's going. I'll usually do, like, a trout or a landlocked salmon. And if I'm on, like, crappie or perch, then that's that's what it's going to be. So, so you got to catch, like, you got to kind of catch what uh, – you got to catch them if, if you're not planning your meals out too well. You got to catch them or else you're not eating. Yeah, and I know a lot of guys, I mean, like you said, you can go as comfort or basic as you want. I mean, you can bring, you know, prepared meals. You can bring the dried meals for camping or hiking and that kind of thing. What are some of the other, you know, things that you said, your creature comforts that you like to bring with uh, in that just make that sleeping or, you know, camping experience that much more enjoyable? Yeah. Um, so, de- so, so a lot of it's like kind of by feel for like how everybody, what their own comfort level is like, like I have a pretty low comfort level where it doesn't take much for me to be comfortable. It's just, I'm really fortunate that way as far as like the cold and like, I don't need a soft bed or anything like that. But, um, but like, like the creature comforts, like you definitely are going to want like a nice cot with a foam pad. And then if you need heat, like definitely a good heat source, um, a table is like pretty imperative to have in there. So you you got your food or you're, you're cooking up off the floor and you have stuff there. Lights are really important. Like, like I switched over some LEDs that just plug into like a battery pack that, um, that are amazing. You know, it just lights everything up and you're not fighting like to see stuff. Um, and then like the stupidest thing that I packed, like it took me like, two or three trips to realize I needed it was a broom, <laughs> like like a house broom because, you know, you're tracking that snow in and it's eventually going to melt or you're putting your, you know, in the morning, I'm walking around in socks in the morning usually. Uh, just bringing a broom is like the simplest thing and then like a little trash can or bringing trash bags, like like those are the things you, would, you might forget. So that's why like in a lot of my videos, I, I treat them like as educational or tutorial where I'm trying to help people out and, and get them through that like two or three week uh, learning curve. 
that, that I went through from like doing a couple different trips. So like just the stupidest things like that. And, and like the best thing I do every one and I still do it is um, I make a list like every trip of like everything I need to pack and like, and I make backups and there's some safety things that you want to do, you know, like, like um, you want to have like definitely at least one or two heat sources if you can, you know, if, if that's important to you and, and the food and water, water is a big thing. Like um, if you're not drinking the lake water or melting snow, then you're going to, you're going to need to bring water and you're going to need to keep it from freezing, you know? So those are a couple, couple of really important things. And like, although I sleep in the shack, on these trips like every single night or mostly every night um i don't always fish from the shack like in maine like we're allowed five lines and our lakes are um they're close together they're also pretty good size you know they're like 15 miles long a bunch of different lakes are in that 10 to 15 mile range you know four or five miles wide so i'll be fishing all over the lake and and if i'm if i'm jigging with live scope i don't spend as much time in the shack during the day but it's there as like my shelter, my home. So that's why, like last year, I got the escape. I got the twenty eight hundred. So on these trips, I'm I'm pulling tandem. Like I'm pulling all my camping gear and like video gear in my coat sled, and then behind it, I'm pulling like an escape. So I'll set up like what I call base camp, and then I'll just go if it's real nasty out. I'll bring the the twenty eight hundred out and and jump around and fish all over different areas of the lake. If it's not nasty, then I just go set up and and just, you know, fish with whatever the elements are. That's a great one-two punch, isn't it? To have both that uh, oh. hub shelter where you can have base camp, but then the mobility of, of the uh, flip over, right? The escape. And yet you're going to still carry a lot of gear in the tub of the escape as well, right? Like probably all your fishing oh. gear. Yeah. That's what I end up usually doing. Like, like when I, I usually put the escape away with, without much stuff in it each trip. And then by the first day of the trip, like it's full, it's got my auger, all my rods, um, the electronics and everything like that I need for a day of fishing in that. And, and I think I'm going to do a couple camping trips with that this year. That's cool. And just, yeah, sleep in that. Okay. So here's a question too. Now, uh, as we're talking, um, obviously, you know, your heat sources and, and all of the other things, and you're talking about extended, right? I mean, seven, 10, or even packing for 20 days at a, at a crack. What about planning for electricity? Cause you've got to run, you got to run your lights. You got to run your uh, cameras and all, all of your gear that you've got. Um, do you just pack a, a like an overabundance of batteries, or do you have some yep. kind of recharging system? Both, like for the most part, it's just an overabundance of batteries, and like quite a few of the fisheries in Maine are still in wilderness areas where you're not allowed a generator. You're not even allowed like you can't have a generator on the ice. And I have like the little Honda 2000, so like. Uh, Moosehead Lakes, our biggest lake, for instance, that one I'm allowed to bring a generator. So if I want to, I could chain my generator up to my trailer or, or in my trailer and charge batteries like all day while I'm fishing, running with my snowmobile, go get them. Or I could bring my generator out with me. And um, I don't usually like to do that just because I love how quiet it is on the ice and, you know, you're out there alone. But some lakes you can't even do that. So it's just a matter of bringing a lot of batteries. So, like, for my video and for the channel, I'm bringing, like, 45 uh, GoPro batteries. I have charger packs. I have Milwaukee batteries with like the add-ons. You can charge those batteries. Uh, my lights are LED. So they'll go like on like a battery pack, similar to like a Jackery. Um, they'll go easily, easily 10 days on that, if not more. But you do have to plan ahead on that. And like that's one of the big like weight, weight 
additives to like when I'm going is I'm bringing like a bag or like a box full of batteries. And then like, I, I have a lot of the Milwaukee batteries just because it's one of the tools I use. But like, if you're running Milwaukee DeWalt or whatever you're using, like those batteries, you could actually charge your GoPro batteries or you could run your lights on it. Or, and I know guys are using it for like some of their augers too. So that's, that's what I'm doing battery wise. And, and um, I haven't run out, you know, I've been lucky that way, you know, uh, I've, I've always gotten through my trips with, with having a little extra battery left over. Yeah, you can never go wrong with bringing too much stuff. I know one of the things in watching one of your videos that definitely struck home with me just from my experiences and doing some ice camping, um, one was a fan because I think being able yeah. to move that air, like you said, dry things out, whether you're using a propane heater, wood stove, what it be, um, that, that fan definitely helps. I'm one of those people that likes a little bit of noise when I sleep too, so that helps. Sure. And then the baby wipes. I know you hit on that, but – for me, just being able to clean yourself off after a day of fishing or, you know, a couple of days, that poor man shower, there's something to be had about that. Oh, yeah, you're so right. And, like, and anybody listening to this, like, my biggest advice that I give everybody from since day one is don't go on a trip like your first time. Is I tell people just set up in the backyard. You know, set up in the front yard, the backyard. Set up in the garage if you don't have a yard. But don't, like, don't put yourself in a position where you're where you're not going to be comfortable and you're not going to have fun and don't bring the kids until like until you know it's going to be comfortable you know don't ruin your own or someone else's experience so like my biggest advice to somebody that's thinking about like hey i i might want to do that winter camping i'm not 100 percent sure i don't have anybody that can help me with it right away is is try like a night or two at right at home like right in the backyard you don't even have to be fishing and then you're going to learn like Oh, okay, I'm going to need like a little trash can. I'm going to need a broom. I'm going to need like a lighter. For, I'm going to need like the cook stove. I'm going to need like an extra pot or pan, a, a spatula. How about a can opener? Like that's something I've forgotten before. Like, like these are like all the little things that you could forget about, you know, like going on one of these trips. And then the cool part about that is like, if you're not comfortable or if you forgot something vital, you literally just walk into the house, you know, or you just, you walk to home and you get it, you know, like this isn't a competition, you know, this isn't like, um, this isn't like a tough man thing either. It's just, I do it because I love it. And it's just, there's so many advantages to doing this rather than driving home and to the lake every day and, uh, and packing and unpacking and all that stuff. So like, so that's like my biggest advice to anybody who's thinking about trying this out is do just try it at home first and, and make it fun, you know, and if you don't make it through the first night, well, you figure out what's going to make it a little more comfortable and you make it through another night. And then you do that a couple of times and you're going to be so comfortable. Like, like I am so comfortable by the end of, end of the winter sleeping in, in my Eskimo that I, I get better sleep on the ice than I do at home, to be honest with you. And I've taken like, and don't think like it's a tough man thing or anything like that. Like my 81 year old best friend has spent like, 15, 20 days on the ice with me on these like wilderness trips. I've taken ex-girlfriends, like when they were ex-girlfriends, I've taken kids. Like I've taken like a lot of different people of different ages out on the ice. And it's been, it's been a blast and like comfortable. So, so anybody can do this. You just kind of have to find your own comfort level. And like my best advice is to try it at home or somewhere where you have an easy out first. Like, like one of my first trips, I literally drove from here like six hours North into the wilderness, you know, hundred miles from the nearest town and set up. And that's not the way to do it. Like learn from my mistakes. Cause I made some serious mistakes my first time doing it. Yeah, no, it's definitely something that 
takes some practice, takes some doing, you know, like you said, making your lists, um, you know, having the, the tote and organization system of where everything is at. Cause I know that's the, one of the worst things is you're trying to find something, you know, you packed it and being organized is something that's really helpful as well. And I know you kind of went through that in your video, you kind of got a, a kitchen supply tote and you've got your other tote with your other gear and, and just being organized, I think is half the battle too. Oh, completely. Yeah. Cause a lot of the times we're fishing, like in Maine, we're not around cell service anyway. So you can't like call a friend or, or say, Hey, can you bring something out? Like it's important to, to, to remember to bring all your gear. And like I do, I always bring that one tote. That's just like my kitchen basically that has everything I need, all the utensils, extra utensils, um, spices, oils, um, anything I might need for in, in a kitchen. And like, I'll keep adding to that as the season goes on. And then like, I have another tote that's got like, you know, warm socks and extra blankets and like extra propane or extra um, matches or, or stuff like that in the other tote. And then I have another one that's like fishing stuff. And then I have another one that's, that's video and stuff. And I, it's funny, like in the comments, I take a lot of flack from the, from certain viewers that are like, you bring way too much stuff out there. And I'm like, dude, it's not like, it's not a minimalist trip. Like I'm not trying to be a minimalist here. And it's not like, um, it's not like I'm just going fishing. Like if I was not shooting YouTube and if I was not camping, like obviously I'd have a lot less stuff. So to, to answer like a lot of those hecklers just for fun, I did do one night like minimalist where I literally didn't bring a tent or anything. And I slept in my tote sled. <laughs> like I just towed it out had my fishing gear, my cooking stuff. And I took it out and set it on the ice and, and climbed in inside my sleeping bag and pulled a, a tarp over and slept right in my tote sled. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was awesome. Oh, that's really cool. All right, so I know you said, you know, learn from your mistakes, learn from other people's mistakes. I know I've watched a lot of different videos, read articles. There's a lot of great resources out there, and I think they've really improved um, what's one other piece of advice or something that you would say to somebody that's going to do some ice camping, maybe for the first time, um, what would you, what would you give them for advice? Um, you know, just, just try to make yourself really comfortable, you know, don't, you know, know your limits. Like I, I have buddies that have gotten into it and, you know, they're cold, they're cold at home, you know, they're cold, just sitting in the truck, they're cold all day while they're fishing. So just prepare for that, you know, like bring, bring three sleeping bags. You know, I don't care how much stuff you bring or how many trips you got to make it. If you're, if you're going to try to do it, stay out there for a night or a week, you know, don't, don't think there's any tough man thing here or anything like that. Make yourself comfortable, you know, and bring enough stuff. Now, one thing we do here, like, especially when we're in wilderness areas is we'll leave a note in our truck. Like if you're locking your truck, leave a note that's like visible for game wardens or, or, um, or, or DNR officials or, or, or police or whoever it might be that, or even other fishermen, you know, like, Hey, I'm fishing. I'm going to be on this lake in this chain of lakes. You know, it might be a long snowmobile ride in. And um, I'm going to, my plan is to be there for five days, you know, and if you, if you want to stay after five days, come out and update, update your thing and put the date on there. You know, like I'm going to be here from December 23rd to December 28th or something like that. And that just, that, that helps, um, you know, people that are looking for your safety too, you know, so they're not out searching for you or, or worried that you fell through the ice or that you're hurt or anything like that. So those are like, those are a couple tips that way. And like, and just, just don't, don't push your comfort level, make it as comfortable as you possibly can. If it takes like, 
you know, if you're bringing kids out, you know, kids love it. Like the kids I've seen that have winter ice camped and ice fished, man, they absolutely love it because their parents have made it like really comfortable for them. They've, they've got a good heat source. They've got good dry boots or second pair or third pair of boots and, and socks. And, and, you know, they made it fun for them. And if you got to bring like their game system or an iPad or, or their phone or whatever, dude, let them have it, whatever makes them comfortable out there and just get them out there fishing. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of like a little, a little walkthrough on like how to get, how to jump into it. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And and then just kind of circling back to your, your note about being cold. I know one thing just from my experience and, you know, doing some winter camping and stuff too, is, is advice for people is if you're planning to sleep at night, don't keep the stuff that you had on during the day on, put dry clothes on when you get into your sleeping bag, whether that's, you know, just a pair of boxers and a t-shirt or you're putting on sweatpants and a sweatshirt or whatever it needs to, to keep you warm. But having dry clothes when you get into your sleeping bag will make a huge world of difference at keeping you warm at night versus the clothes that you've been wearing all day that are a little sweaty, get those clothes off and, and get something dry. on. It's so important. And then, and just try to get like all your chores or, or tasks that you need to have done done before you jump in that sleep bag because to me like like i look at that heat that my body has like i do not want to lose any of that once i jump in that sleeping bag so like if you try to like go through everything that you need to do for the next day or for that night or and take care of business you know like make sure like they like you have everything screwed down in case it, it, it blows windy at night. You know, I'll put logs on the corner of my, my pop-up tents, you know, and I'll tie to that or I'll tie to my snowmobile when I know it's going to get really nasty out because like the worst thing you could do is have to get out of that sleeping bag and you, you allow cold in and you allow your body to get cold too. So like, just like you said, you know, good dry clothes and don't be afraid to layer up. You know, um, my good sleeping bag is cloth. So I wear like, um, like a, a type of material where like if I roll up, I don't end up like winding myself into a sausage. And then I bought a new sleeping bag last year. I didn't get a chance to use it, but I let my friends use it that had never done it before. And that one's like that shiny, like um, slick stuff. So you could wear any clothes into that. And you won't like turn yourself into a sausage over the course of the night. So, and you know, like, like um, last year I brought a good friend of mine from the FLW tour and he'd never been ice fishing before. He'd never been on ice before. And I brought him out. He ended up camping with me for, I think, four or five days. And he had a blast and was, like, so comfortable. And, you know, you can make it great. And this was a guy from down south, you know. So, like, and, and you know, you can make it great for anyone as, as long as you, like, you do the preparation and, and you work really hard to make everyone comfortable. Oh, that's great advice. Kyle, anything else? Any other questions for Joe? Well, I've got about a million questions and I just, I just love all of the information. And, um, you know, one lingering thing, Joe, is, is when you talk about, um, keeping all your stuff organized, when you talk about having those totes and you talk about the importance of keeping your water and not letting it get froze, how do you manage, do you, do you just keep, do you just keep a lot of stuff in your shack to keep it from freezing? Yeah. Like, like when I was, when I was tending a lot, like in my 450, 
Um, that's a little bit smaller one. And, and of course I was always alone in that one. So I would figure out, okay, this stuff can be outside, you know, like rods, reels, stuff like that. They can freeze. No problem. That can be outside, but this other stuff that's integral or I don't want to freeze has to be inside. Now it would still freeze cause I'm not running heat in the day and I'm not running it all night. But like, if you, if you kind of layer like your water jugs and you wrap them up with like a sleeping bag and then put them inside a tote, man, you get like 30 extra degrees before that freezes. And like a lot of like a lot of afternoons, my water wouldn't be frozen or I would, I would melt down snow and I would get my coffee pot done the night before. So in the morning, all I'm doing is just waking up and starting that propane stove. And it's almost every time it's frozen, you know, like I have a pot of water that I left the night before, but that's frozen too. Cause it's like 10 to 20 below. And you just hit that propane stove on. Like I have a two two burner Coleman stove, and then you know you melt your ice melts right there in the pro in the coffee percolator. Otherwise, you're struggling just to get water in the morning. So like those are some of the things that that I was talking about, like trying to get done the night before you can crawl in your sleeping bag. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. And and coolers have come a long way. And you think of coolers of keeping food cold. In the wintertime, it's the opposite, right? It's taking that cooler, putting your gear in there. I've seen people go as far to take, you know, hot packs or different things and put in the cooler to keep the stuff from freezing um, just because it's the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish in the summertime of keeping stuff warm. That's a great point. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But, yeah, these coolers are so amazing now that you're throwing you're throwing your, your cold stuff in them without ice just to keep them from freezing. And, and they do work. You know, it, it works great that way. Yeah, I've even found going out for a day of fishing, instead of putting my drinks and beverages in the fridge for the night, I'll actually keep them out inside the house so they're 70 degrees ambient temperature, throw them in my backpack, in my fishing gear bag, and you go out for the day. They definitely don't freeze as fast. It takes a lot of time for that to cool down and get to that freezing temperature, whereas if you're pulling it out of the fridge, putting it in your bag, hour in and your stuff's frozen. So true, so true. And and a lot of that stuff is like, is the stuff I'm trying to like teach people or, or help educate people ahead of time. So they don't have to learn that the hard way, you know, cause like if all your drinks are frozen, then you're like, you're melting snow or you're drinking lake water and hopefully the lake water is, you know, pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't drink a lot of lake water cause we have beavers and, and uh, you know, the fish, they, they do stuff in, in the water too. <laughs> yeah, no, I think most people would prefer to, to avoid that as well. But, well, Joe, it's been great having you. If people have questions for you, I know you said they can find you on your YouTube ch- channel and, and ask questions in the comments. Is there any other way that, you know, people can, can ask questions or, or pick your brain if they're looking to get into ice camping? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So uh, my Facebook and Instagram are the same name. It's all under Joe Holland Fishing. And one thing I'm pretty proud of with my channel that I've been able to do as it's growing um, is I answer every single question, you know, like it's so important to me if somebody takes time like on YouTube in the comment section and says, you know, like, Hey, how much does that floor weigh? Or what did it cost? Or, or how did you build it? Or what do you, what's the most important thing you bring ice camp? And like, if they're taking time to reach out to me, it's really important for me to, to reach out and answer those questions. So although it's taking a little bit longer now as the, as the channel grows um, and I can't get on it as quickly as I always could, I answer every single question. So, so if you, you know, if you're on the, if you're on my YouTube and you want to leave a question or a comment, I'm definitely going to get back to everybody. Awesome. I know we could probably go for another hour and talk about things, but I'll send people over to your YouTube 
channel to check it out. I know there's a lot of great useful information, so go check it out. If you're interested in ice camping, make sure to, to, to check out and go follow Joe's channel and follow his adventures. I know it's a, a different, different world over there in Maine, and we, we enjoy following along with your adventures. And hopefully, you know, Kyle, we might have to plan a trip up to the Northeast one of these years and just get up there and do it and, and have some fun. Well, I'll tell you what, after, after this conversation tonight, um, the reality of that is a whole lot closer because I am I am intrigued. You guys are welcome anytime. That's one of the best things about Maine is we have an open-door policy with our whole state. You know, we'll take you in and, uh, and put you guys on some fish. Awesome. No, that sounds like a great time. Well, Joe, thanks again for joining us tonight. Um, for anyone listening, thanks again for, for tuning in. Make sure to check out all of the episodes of Shack Talk from this season. Um, we're going to be looking forward to uh, a few more great episodes, and we hope everybody's had a great holiday season and is looking forward to a, a successful and safe ice fishing season ahead of us. I think things are really going to get underway now, so we, uh, we hope everybody has a great season, and we'll catch you again in a week or two.